Well, good morning. Uh, my name is JP, and I'm visiting this morning from Orangeburg. I'm glad to be with y'all again this morning. Actually had the privilege of being here last week, and we'll be here next week. So kind of, this is the middle of the sandwich today. This is it. Um, but I'm really thankful to be here to worship with y'all and um, to, to pray with you about what God is doing in North Charleston, and um, hopefully uh, to, be, to get to be a little bit of a part of that today is a good thing. So thank you all for um, welcoming my family. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll open God's Word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this facility to meet in. Thank you for calling together people to glorify you, to honor you, to bring glory to your name, to bear witness to the good news of Jesus. Today we, we need to hear from you. We don't need to hear man's word, we just need to hear your word. So Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts, open our ears to hear you speaking to us by your spirit. Call us, remind us. Remind us of who we are in light of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I got to tell you something. Um, I was a pretty amazing baseball player one day, uh, way back in a previous life. I mean, I mean just an incredible baseball player. Um, in fact, I played first base, and I mean, I had an incredible batting average you wouldn't believe my batting average. It was, I don't know, I don't remember what it was, but it was awesome, okay? In fact, one time when I played baseball, I hit a home run all the way over the fence. Have you ever seen anyone do that before? I mean, it was amazing. I hit this incredible home run. And, 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 and to top it all off, my team was the champion team in 1993 of the Youth Dixie League. We were amazing. This was the pinnacle of my baseball career, and, I, and they gave us all, you're not going to believe this, they gave us all trophies. Incredible trophies with a little baseball player sitting on top. Man, I wish I had brought it this morning to show you how incredible I was as a baseball player. Now I want you to imagine that, 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 I, that I was invited to dinner, and, and I found out that the chairman of the Baseball Hall of Fame was going to be there. And now I want you to imagine that and I think, oh, the Baseball Hall of Fame? Well, I mean, I probably deserve to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame because I was so amazing back in Dixie League. And can you imagine me going back to my, uh, going back to my bedroom, digging through, finding that trophy and bringing it out and bringing it in front of the, the chairman of the Baseball Hall of Fame and saying, check this out. Don't you think I should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I mean, how ridiculous would that be? How ridiculous would that be to bring my little trophy from Dixie League and present it as justification for me to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame? Just, just completely ridiculous, right? Why do we seek to justify ourselves? In front of other people. We do this all the time. You know, it's not just, it's not just our, our, our um, athletic achievements, but we do it in other ways, too. We do it in subtle ways. You've heard of the humble brag, right? Oh, yeah, well, I know so-and-so. And doesn't that make me in a little better position in this relationship? 
We all do that, don't we? Why do we justify ourselves? We know we're weak. We know we're really not that great. I know my baseball career means absolutely nothing. But there's something else behind it all that God created us for. God created us to reflect his image. And so there's something about wanting to be justified, to be right, to be good, to be great. There's something in all of us that God put there. The very beginning when he made man and woman and he said, you are going to be in my image. You are made in my image. You are made to reflect me and God is great. Right? So we were created to reflect this goodness and this greatness of God. But we know that because of sin, it's all, it's all washed out. Right? And, we, and, we, and, and rather than gl- seeking to glorify God through our achievements, we seek to just puff up ourselves. We seek to set ourselves against other people and say, ah, I'm actually better than all of these other people. And isn't that what's happening in our passage today? Isn't that exactly what's happening? You have someone who is seeking to justify himself. Let's take a look back at our passage one more time. I'm going to read through it again. We're in Luke Chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. Jesus told this parable. What's a parable? Parables is just a story, right? Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So I want you to have in your mind this idea that Jesus is speaking to little JP with his trophy, okay? He's speaking to little JP with his trophy, trying to impress people with that. Who were trying to impress, they were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10. This is where the parable begins. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? Anybody know? Pharisee was a teacher, teacher of God's law. This was someone who everyone respected. This was a good person, someone who followed all the rules and did all the right things. This was someone like a pastor. This is really someone like me, standing up here, a a Pharisee, okay? So I want you to think about a Pharisee as a good person. So, So the Pharisee and the other, the other man who went was a tax collector. Now, Who were the tax collectors? Who are the tax collectors today? They're the ones who take all your money, right? And they spend it on things that we need, like roads, and things that we don't need, like, well, fill in the blank. (laughs) But the tax collectors in those days were not just the ones who took your money, but they actually worked for the enemy. See, if you were Jewish and you were a tax collector, you worked for the occupying forces of Rome. So you are not only someone who takes our money, but you are a traitor. In a real sense, you were a traitor. People hated you. You you, you took money, and then sometimes they would even skim off the top, and they could charge, from my understanding, they could charge as much as they wanted. As long as they paid the Romans, they could keep everything else they collected. Talk about scandal. So that's who this other person is. You've got the preacher man, right, the Pharisee, and you've got the tax collector, the scoundrel the crook, the traitor. And they both go into the temple to pray. Now I'm in verse 11. The Pharisee, remember he's the good guy, standing by himself, 
prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And I think he kept going. And verse 13 says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In verse 14, I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself, what does exalt mean? It means lift up, right? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. What does humbled mean? Brought low, right? Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. How do you seek to justify yourself? We do it in a lot of different ways. I'm going to tell you something very personal that that happened recently, within the last year, that revealed to me a way that I've been seeking to justify myself. And this is still something I'm dealing with, okay? Still something I'm wrestling with. In fact, we had a conversation about it yesterday with my wife. (laughs) This, um, when, when, some of you know, we, we moved to Orangeburg to church plant. And one of, the, one of the really important things to me was that when we, go, when we come into a new community, that we really invest in the community, that we get involved, that we serve, that we love, that we get to know people, that we participate. And when, one of the biggest ways that we thought we needed to do that and that we decided to do that was through putting our kids in public school. And so when we first moved down into Orangeburg, we put our kids in public school. And we knew that Orangeburg public schools are rated some of the worst in the entire state. Some some of the very worst in the entire state. And South Carolina is some of the worst in the entire nation, right? So we're at the bottom of the bottom, right? But we decided it was important for us to love our neighbor, to be a good witness for Christ, to put our kids in public school. We did that. And it was... Out of the gate, it was mixed. I mean, we had one child who uh, really, really had a hard time with a teacher who had no classroom management abilities at all. And, and, and then over the next two years, it got a little better. And then all of a sudden this year, it got, it got a lot worse. It just got a lot worse. And we were wringing our hands thinking, what do we do? Well, ultimately, we decided to pull our kids out of public school and to homeschool them. Now, when we did that, it hit me really hard that I had given up, that I had caved. But what was really going on is that I had built up a system of, just, of self-justification, okay? I had built up this idea that if I have my kids in public school and we're slugging it out, you know, serving in a way that is good, right? It's good to do that. It's not wrong to do that. But I had built it up as a self-justification, and when it was taken away, oh man, it was like I felt embarrassed, 
in conversations with other people, suddenly I, I, I was comparing myself to others, thinking, well, man, they're doing it. Why aren't we doing it? Why are we giving up? They're, you get it? And so what that revealed to me was that I was like this Pharisee. I had built up the things that I was doing as a justification really before God and before other people. And when God took that away, man, it just really hurt. It just really revealed something scary in my own heart. Let's take a closer look at this Pharisee. He's proud. He's distant. He looks down on others with contempt. The Pharisee has a sense of superiority, and man, I, I can relate to that. You know, I felt like, hey, you know, we're, we're one of the only, and, and, and this gets into race, right? We're, in Orangeburg, we're one of the only white families sending our kids to public schools, okay? So th- that became sort of a righteousness to me, all right? Not, not that it was a bad thing, it was a good thing, but it wasn't good that it became a righteousness to me. This Pharisee, he believes that he is good. He believes that God is impressed with all of his wonderful things that he's doing. Doesn't he say, he says, I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He's going above and beyond to show his religious duties, to show that he's committed to God. He's, he's doing it all. But the problem is that the, this reveals that he has a very small God. If you can impress God, then your God is not very big. If you can impress God with your good deeds, then your God, the God that you conceive of, is very small. And so the Pharisee's God was very small. He was, he was doing two things. I want, I want, if, if you're going to write down something, write down these two words. He was, on the one hand, he was performing. On the other hand, he was pretending. How was he performing? Well, he was bringing down God's standard, God's holiness, God's unreachable holiness. He was bringing it down to, to a level that he felt like he could reach. And he said, hey, you know, thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you that, 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 that I do all these good things. I fast, I give tithes, I show up at the temple. I do, I stand and I pray publicly. In front of all these people, I pray publicly. He's, 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 he's saying, look at my trophy. Look at the things that I've done. He's performing. But he's not really performing God's law, is he? He's not really reaching the standard that God has set out for him. He's falling far short. We know that, but he didn't know that. And in that moment, he didn't know that. He was performing. On the other hand, he was pretending. He was pretending that he really wasn't that bad, that his sins weren't really as bad as the next guy. Isn't that what he says? He compares himself to others. He says, thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He actually points the guy out in church and says, God, thank you that I'm not like Justin. I mean, he didn't even get up here and sing today. And so those are two ways that we, just, we seek to justify ourselves by performing and by pretending, pretending that we're not so bad and reducing God's standard to something that we can achieve, like a baseball trophy. But what about the tax collector? How's the, how's the tax collector different? 
Well, first of all, he's a scoundrel, right? He's, he's a notorious sinner. Everyone knows, they know him as the tax collector. He's that guy. But when he comes into the temple to pray, he's, he's different. He's, he's humble. He stands at a distance. He will not even look up to heaven. He will not even look up to heaven because he doesn't have a small God. He has a big God. He, ha- he has a view of God that, 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 that in comparison to himself, he, he won't even look up. He, won't even, he, he trembles to come into God's presence. God is powerful and almighty and holy and righteous. And so the tax collector comes in and he knows, he believes that he is a terrible sinner. And he is. But he knows it. He knows that it distances him from God. He's not performing. He doesn't come in and say, hey, you know what, God? I know I'm, I know I'm a bad guy, but, but you know what I've done, right? I, I helped this lady cross the street the other day. And I gave that one family a break on their taxes. He doesn't come in doing that. You know, he doesn't come in seeking to justify himself by performing. He doesn't pretend. He doesn't say, ah, you know, I'm not that bad. No, he's beating his breast before a holy God. He's crying out for mercy. He has a huge God. Do you see the difference? One guy comes in and he has a little God who he can impress, and the other guy comes in and he has a big God who... He can't even imagine reaching, except for one thing, except for his mercy. It's the only only hope this guy has. The only hope that this tax collector has for reaching God, for, for praying to God, is his mercy. And that is exactly what he calls out for, doesn't he? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We need to remember that only God is good. You're not good. I'm not good. Only God is good. And all of our performing, all of our posturing, all of our do-good does not impress God. It does not impress Him one bit. Because He is holy and we are sinners in need of mercy. It's like me walking into the baseball Hall of Fame guy and saying, check out my trophy. It means nothing. Even our best deeds are like that trophy. They're made out of plastic. And yet we, we keep bringing them to God. We keep performing. We keep pretending that we're not so bad. But the gospel says, the good news of Jesus says, you can only be justified by God's mercy. Only. We can only be justified by God's mercy. At the end of this parable, what changed? Did did both of these men turn over a new leaf? Did they both promise to do better? No. No. Neither one of them promised to do better. And yet one man went home justified and not the other. The only thing that changed was a cry for mercy. The only thing that changed was that he, the, the, the tax collector cried out for mercy. He put his faith and his trust alone in God's mercy and God's grace 
toward him, a sinner. What does it mean to be justified? When you think about this story, okay, let's say that I'm, you know, I get ticked off one day and get really mad at my boss, and I grab my baseball bat, since I'm on a baseball theme, grab my baseball bat, and I go out, and I'm like, man, he did me wrong, and I just, bam, bust in the windshield. And then I walk around to the other side, and I'm like, man, this Cadillac has got to go, and just, bam, bust in the front hood, destroy this nice Cadillac that belongs to my boss. And then I realize, uh (laughs) uh-oh, I should not have flown off in a rage. Maybe you wouldn't do that. But I want you to imagine that there's a video camera up on the building, and it catches me in the act. It's clear. I, I was dumb. I didn't wear a hood or anything. I just, you know, was just angry. And the video catches me, and, 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 I get, and I get arrested, and I get brought in to the courtroom. And the judge calls me up, and he says, look, we've got irrefutable evidence that, that you're the one who destroyed this guy's car, and you've got to pay for it. That's your, that's your penalty. You've got to pay for it. So what are my options? Go to jail, pay for it that way. Pay a big fine. Pay for it that way. One way or the other, i got to pay for it, right? I did it. I was caught red-handed. So what does it mean to be justified? Here's what it would mean. Because I destroyed Justin's car, he comes up, comes up to the, to the judge's table and he says, look, I'm going to show mercy to this guy. Can we just forget it? And the judge says, No. We can't just forget it. There are damages here that have to be paid for. And Justin says, okay, fine. My boss. He says, I'll pay for it. I'll pay the damages. That's what forgiveness is, y'all. That's what being justified means. It means that the offended party pays the damages. And when we have sinned against God, when we've disobeyed His will, his way, when we've wrecked his world, we've wrecked our lives, God sends himself to come and to pay the damages. That's what the cross is all about. The cross is Jesus coming to live a righteous life, to do what we could not do, to obey God perfectly, and then to take that life, that atoning sacrifice, and go to the cross and to pay the damages on the cross of Calvary that we all deserve to pay. That is how we're justified. That is how we're forgiven. But there's more to it, y'all. There's more to it than that. We're not just, the, the, the penalty is not just paid. But I want you to imagine this. My boss, he says, you know, I forgive you. I've, I've shown you mercy. I've paid the price. But now I want to do something even more. I want to show you grace. I want to give you a gift. And you're like, what, what, excuse me? And the boss says, look, my car is getting fixed. It's in the shop. I want you to pick it up. Here are the keys. It's yours. What if, what if that happened? So that you're not only forgiven, but you're given all of God's righteousness. All of Christ's goodness, his love, all of his mercy, all of his kindness, all of his, all, every good thing that Jesus ever did in the gospel. You're not just wiped clean, but you're given a new car. And it's fixed. 
It's right. It's good. And you get to drive it. You get to live out this new life in Christ. That's what it means to be justified. Being justified by God's grace gives us a new identity. It gives us a new hope, a new life. Back when I was in college, um, I spent the summer interning with a man named Michael. He was a traveling youth evangelist. We went all over the southeast to camps and conferences, and Michael was sort of a father to me that summer, sort of a spiritual father. And I had been really struggling with some some personal sin in the area of uh, sexual lust, and I was living with a lot of deep shame that summer, deep, deep, deep shame about what I was doing, what I had been doing, and my sin. And Michael one day asked me about that. He just kind of out of the blue said, how's it going with this area of your life? And I lied to him. (laughs) And then later I came back and said, nah, you know, I really need to tell you the truth. I told him the whole truth, everything. And that day I remember very distinctly we were driving across Tennessee and we stopped for gas and Michael didn't like to pump gas. So he said, JP, get out and pump. This is why he had an intern, you know, (laughs) pump gas and stuff like that. So I got out and I was pumping the gas and I was just in one of these moments of real shame. I was like the tax collector in the temple, okay, I was beating my breast, and I was, I was standing there pumping, I didn't think, I thought Michael's window was closed, and I was, and I was just mumbling under my breath, such a sinner, just such a sinner, all of a sudden I heard the door click, and I was like, crap, Michael got out of the car, as he, I wish you guys could know him, but as he, he came up to me, he grabbed me on both shoulders like this, And he said, JP, are you a Christian? Yes, sir. You are not a sinner. You are a saint. You are a saint. He must have said it three or four times. I have a new identity in Christ. The tax collector is no longer the sinner who's hopeless. The tax collector went home what? justified. No longer only a sinner, but a saint. Martin Luther, that great reformer of the 16th century, had a phrase that some of you know, and in Latin it is simul justice et peccator. Simul justice et peccator. It means at the same time, saint and sinner. At the same time, saint and sinner. And so, if you're Christian, if you've put your faith in Christ, if you've you've believed in Him, if you've rested on His finished work on the cross, if you've received those keys to His righteousness that He's given to you, then you are no longer identified in your sin. You're no longer dead in your sin, but you have been made alive. Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And so this changes everything. It changes everything about our lives. We no longer have to live in shame and guilt because we've been forgiven. We've been justified. 
rewind to my childhood. Who was proud of my baseball trophy? Besides me. My parents. My parents were proud, right? It was, it was a meager accomplishment. You know, winning the Dixie League championship in 1993. But my parents were proud. And y'all, that is a picture of our relationship with God now. We, di- we didn't get into his family because we were so great. Because, I mean, we're not. We got in because of his mercy. But now, when we do good things, when we seek to follow him and obey him, and when we love our neighbors, when we take care of our families, when we choose to turn away from sin and choose to do the right thing, when we do that, it doesn't earn us anything with God, but man, is he, is he proud. Man, is he proud. As a father is proud of his children. And yeah, I mean, our, our righteousness is like, you know, a plastic trophy. But because he's our father, he's proud of us. He loves us. Even when we do the smallest good thing. Because our life is hidden with Christ. It's not our good thing anyway, is it? It's his good thing. So that should encourage us to live that out. You've been forgiven. You've been given God's mercy and his grace. Walk in his righteousness. Take the keys to that car and drive it all around North Charleston. People desperately need to see the hope of Christ. They desperately need to see what God can do in their lives to bring them from shame, from pride, to humility and new life. I want to end by giving you guys a tool. And the tool is uh, something that I read in a book not too long ago called Gospel Fluency. Maybe some of you have read that book. Um, I do rec- I recommend it. But I'm going to pretty much tell you the whole book in about five minutes, okay? That's, that's how most books are, right? It's like there's one good idea in there and you can pretty much. But here's what it is. God wants, God wants Two Rivers Church, and by that I mean the people. He wants you to let these gospel truths saturate your community. Okay, whether that's at home with your family or whether it's one-to-one when you meet with each other, whether it's in your community groups or, or even here on Sundays, God wants you to allow these gospel truths to saturate your community. And this is a tool for helping you do that a little bit. Okay, so if you have something to write with, you can write this down. I'll shoot an email later this week with this as a summary. If, uh, I was hoping we could have it up on the screen. But it's basically this. It's repenting and believing. Those are the two major headings. Repenting of our sin, believing the gospel. Repenting of our sin, believing the good news. Those are the two major headings. And underneath are three sub-questions. Okay? The first one is this. Under repent of sin, what is going on? That's the first question. What is going on? So when you meet with someone, you say, hey, uh, tax collector, what's going on? Well, I just, I just really feel bad. I mean, I've, I've been extorting people. I've been, you know, I just, I'm starting to really feel bad about things I've been doing. What's going on? It's a simple question, right? I just won the spelling bee. It could be anything, okay? It doesn't matter. What is going on? That's the situation. Anyone can answer that question, right? That's how you start. The next question is, in that situation, whatever's going on, you won the spelling bee, you feel bad, 
What lies do you believe about yourself? What lies do you believe about yourself? That's the second question. So I won the spelling bee. What lies do I believe about myself? Well, I believe that I'm a good person because I won the spelling bee. (laughs) I feel really good about myself right now. But I know that's a lie. I know it's not really true. Or the tax collector who comes in. What lies do you believe about yourself? Well, I believe I'm completely miserable and no one loves me. I'm completely without, without hope. I know that's not really true, but that's the lies I'm believing right now. You get it? What's, what's going on? What lies do you believe about yourself? And the next part goes a little deeper. This is still under repenting of sin. What lies do you believe about God? And man, <laughs> this is where it can really drive home. What lies do I believe about God? Well, I believe I've won the spelling bee. I believe God must really love me today because I've done so good. Or if you're the tax collector, I don't believe God, I don't believe God is merciful. I don't believe God will ever forgive me for what I've done. I don't believe he really wants to forgive me. Say it. Say what you really believe. That's, this, that's what this is. What lies do you believe about God? And so then you take those three questions and you flip them over. Okay, and this is where we get into believing the gospel. So rather than what lies do you believe, the, fir- the first question underneath believe the gospel is this. What is true about God? Okay, you told me the lies, now what's true? And that's where we go to Scripture. And we, we need to bring one another to Scripture in our community groups, in our one-to-ones, in our families, Bring people to Scripture to say, what is true about God? God is merciful and slow to anger and compassionate and full of love and keep going. And that's what that tax collector needs to hear, right? He needs to hear that. What does the guy who just won the spelling bee need to hear? Or the young lady? She needs to hear, you know, God is the best speller of them all. He never loses a spelling bee. God is perfect. And you know, there's nothing we can do to ever attain to that standard of his perfection. So it just depends on the situation. What, do you need, what truth do you need to be reminded? What is true about God? And then the, the, the second question underneath believe the gospel is, so what's true about you? What's true about you right now? And that's where the tax collector might say, you know what? I think I think what's true about me is that I'm loved. I think what's true about me is that I'm, I'm forgiven. What's true about me is that, if you just want the spelling bee, God doesn't care on my best day what I've done because his love is, is based on Jesus, not based on me. And so I'm loved too, but not because of what I've done. That's what's true about me. And then the third question is, what is going to change? What is going to change? That's the, the, the third question underneath, believe the gospel. If all of this is true, then what is going to change? And man, for that tax collector who went out justified that day, is something going to change in his life? Yeah, I think so. Something is going to change. He is going to turn away from his sin. He is going to seek to honor his Father in heaven in a new way that he never has before, because he's been changed. He has a new identity. What is going to change? So 
That's a little tool. I'm going to walk through it one more time and then we'll close. Repenting of sin. What is going on? What lies do you believe about yourself? What lies do you believe about God? And then believing the gospel. What is true about God? What is true about you? And what is going to change? And if we can allow these gospel truths to saturate our community, one another, in our small groups or homes, man, what, will God use that to build us up and to encourage us and strengthen us so that we might be his church? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story, this parable about these two men who we relate to both. Thank you for reminding us today about how you justify us, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. Lord, I pray for this church that as they are in a time of transition, Lord, that you would not allow this to be a time of waiting only, but a time of mission and movement and of life, of lives being transformed. I pray for the elders particularly, Lord, that you would give them the ability to love this flock well, to guide them into these gospel truths and conversations. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen two rivers during this time, and that you would be glorified in North Charleston increasingly, for Jesus' sake. Amen.